Next Chapter Podcasts. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know, when I saw this record coming up on the list, I didn't think something like this was going to be on it. Something so goddamn soulful and fucking perfect. I was reading about what was going on in the world, of course, and there's there's so much. You have 68 where, like, MLK gets killed, RFK gets killed, Vietnam starts. I mean, you can keep going. And then in 69, you have the Manson family and Summer of Love and Woodstock, and it's like Boz what if you just, doesn't. What if you just listed all the serial killers over the period of time? You know, so you, you have, have Jeffrey Dahmer. You have the BTK. You have John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne you know, Gacy and- was actually the mixer on the record for some reason. I don't know how he got in there. I but would he was start making my way out of this apartment right now. <laughs> <laughs> that were the case. But wait, yeah. wait, why are you taking Lekka? Bring the dog back. <laughs> The song is Loan Me a Dime by Boss Skaggs off his 1969 self-titled debut. And it's number 496 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. I'm your host, Josh Adam Myers. You might know me by some of my many other names. Jimmy Josh Adams, J-Mo, The Jam, The Four-Legged Comedian, The King of Fleece. You call me whatever you want. But thank you for tuning into the 500, where each week me and my guests go through Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 albums list, starting at five honey, all the way down to numero uno. And it's going to take a long-ass time, guys. But we've got an end date, May 31st, 2028. So you're down to the final episodes, man. You've got only 495 more episodes after this one. So make sure you pay for your Spotify's, your Apple Music's, your titles, whichever way you guys listen to music. Listen to the record. Listen to the podcast. You don't have to listen to the record, but it definitely helps. We got a huge response from the Bill Burr White Stripes, White Blight Cells episode. And why wouldn't we? It's probably our longest episode, but it's also one of the biggest comics working today. And Bill is the shit. We had such a good time recording it. I love Bill to death, man. I suffer from uh, social anxiety disorder. And uh, I've been depressed for like years. And so this podcast is a way for me to come out of my shell, talk to some of these people that either I'm friends with or I kind of know. And I'm trying to build... A relationship with and just become friends. That's ultimately all we want. All we want in life is just to be, I mean, at least me, I just want to be that kid that's just, that's still that little kid that just wants to be invited over to people's houses to play. That's all I want. So thank you to everybody that tuned in and for reaching out to me and telling me how much you guys enjoyed it. It's great, man. It's great to see you guys emailing and responding on my social media and being a part of this book club, man. Because this is a record book club, and it only works if we start the discussion. So the bigger the audience, the bigger the discussion. 
I hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I hope everybody is feeling uh, a little less bloaty from all the food that we ate. I went fucking ham because I was back in Maryland. I was doing shows with Sickler in Baltimore. And then I went to my mom's place in Salisbury, Maryland, a.k.a. the middle of fucking nowhere. And uh, I hung out with my mom and my sister and her husband and their three kids. They got a niece that's 11, another niece that's 9, and a nephew that is 7. And I literally was just a child wrangler. For a fucking week, man. I was running around with them. I was playing tag. They had those, like, little Nerf guns, and I was shooting them and shit. We had the time of our lives. I had the time of my life. I, I want kids so bad. I have a dog. I'm doing really good at raising that dog. And if the dog lives a full life, 10, 12 years, I'm going to have kids. I'm a work in progress is what I'm trying to say, people. I go to uh, a spiritual guide. I go to therapy. I meditate daily. I read. I do all of these things to make me the best version of me. I, I just want to grow. That's all I want to do. And um, so, you know, thank you for letting me say that. This week's guest is comedy royalty. One of my favorite Saturday Night Live cast members. And also a part of one of the greatest casts that Saturday Night Live ever had assembled. It's the one and only Kevin Nealon. You can currently see him on Man With A Plan on CBS, or you can watch his video podcast that he posts all over social media, and it's called Hiking With Kevin, where Kevin goes hiking with some of the biggest names in entertainment. The way that I met Kevin is actually quite interesting. So, when the jam was first starting to take off, I was living at this studio apartment in Little Armenia, and I was laying in bed watching like the Redskins game on a Sunday and I got a phone call from a good friend named Jade Catapretta. Hysterical comic I've known her since I started. She's in my class of comedians. And uh, she had called me. And I was like, hey, Jade, what's going on? And she's like, hold on for a second. Kevin Nealon wants to talk to you. And she handed the phone to Kevin. And Kevin's like, hey, are you Josh? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, Jade told me about your show. I would love to do it. And I just sat on my bed and having the most grateful moment I've ever had in my life because it was how cool is that shit how fucking dope is that to have one of your comedy icons somebody you've looked up to since you were a kid somebody that you know you've just you've watched in some of your favorite movies and television shows and sketch shows and they're calling you to to ask to be a part of something that you created I was like what the fuck? Oh, my God. What a great life. What a great existence we have. And what a great man he is. He came ready to rock and roll for this podcast. He, he did some research, and uh, I was super, super, super happy to have him on. So, don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast, guys. We got a few f- cool things. We're going to read some fan emails. We're going to do that. And then also, I don't know if you've, if you've been listening to the end. But we spotlight a new artist each week that is directly influenced by the album and artist that we're listening to. It's fucking dope, man. Plus, we have all the comics uh, and and guests on the show make a music mixtape for you guys. We post it on YouTube. It's on the website at the500podcast.com. But we want you to be able to get inside the mind 
of these guests, guys. We want you to know the kind of music they, they listen to, that they've been listening to, the, the shit that they've just, they love. So we make this playlist, we make this mixtape for you guys to hear more, to know more about them. So make sure you guys follow along. Stay tuned to the end of the episode because I'm going to read those emails and we're going to spotlight a new artist that was directly influenced by Boz Skaggs. Also, rate and review. Most importantly, guys, subscribe to the 500 on your platform that you guys check out your podcast. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And if you guys want to email this podcast and have me read it on the air, email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. There it is. So let's get started, guys. Here we go with number 496 out of 500 with Boz Skaggs. Boz Skaggs. Neelan. Whoa. He's Kevin Neelan. He's Kevin Neelan. It's not the song from the album. That's it. That's how I started. Lido. Lido Shuffle. Yeah. Which is one of those songs. Dude, I had no idea who Boz Skaggs was except for... Really? Well, I knew the name because... You're such a musical aficionado. I know, but I... See, here's the problem is that my... This is why I'm doing the podcast is because there's so much good music out there that I have no idea about. And uh, the only real knowledge I had of Boz Skaggs was from Mr. Show when they made fun of him in one of their sketches and they were like doing this office thing and they're like, and sometimes there'll be an impromptu jazz riff with Boz Skaggs. And it was this one actor like kind of just in the middle while people were eating. So I just assumed he was this cheesy dude. I I just, I just, I had no idea about his music. What about, what about you? Boz, by the way, is short for Bosley. It is short for Bosley. Yes, I actually, I have that written down. Actually, it's William Roy Skaggs. Really? Is his full name? Yes. And somebody gave him the nickname Bosley in high school, I guess. And uh, well, he went to actually. What happened was, him and Steve Miller went to high school. They met at the age of twelve. He started learning how to, to play guitar. St. Mark's Prep School, I think, in Plano, Texas. He went to. Look at you. Yeah. yeah. But here's a guy like Boss Gags. He's the kind of guy you really can't pinpoint where he's from. You think? You know, growing up, I thought this guy must be from New Orleans or something. But who would know? He was born in Canton, uh, Ohio. And he moved to uh, Plano, Texas, which is just north of Dallas, and went to St. Mark's Prep School with Steve Miller. <laughs> it's, it's just so crazy, crazy. That, that that stuff just comes to you sometimes. I know, I know it. How but big? I've, I've always been a fan of his. And it's not, I know, I don't think I I might have bought an album of his, you know, back in the seventies. Which one? Silk. Um, What's the big it was one? Probably Silk Degrees. It was Georgia on it. You know the song Georgia? Georgia. Which one's Georgia? Your daddy was having that he dreamed of. I don't know that one. Oh, it's my favorite one. I've been humming it all day today because I don't know the lyrics. <laughs> no, but that was great. You, you had me. I thought that was like, that's, I think I know that song. The thing for me with lyrics is, to me, um, I'm not always listening to the lyrics as lyrics. I'm listening to them as another instrument, like they're notes. Every word is a note. That's what I'm kind of like hearing. So, I mean, aside from Happy Birthday, I don't know a lot of uh, songs. <laughs> <laughs> I know, the, I know, I know. Like I say, I know bridges and choruses. I just have never been able to retain the lyrics. Like I, I, I only I know the melody. I could sit there and I could sit down at a piano and like play the memory of what I hear from the song just verbatim. 
but I cannot remember lyrics. Even when I try to study them, I mean, it's also it's like I never really try to study them. I don't know why I'm lying about that. I never have try you ever to study written a song. I have. I've, I mean, I've written some of my hits. I know you might have heard them. Uh, Great pubic hairs was one that we did. Was that on the second Boscox album? That was actually uh, in the <laughs> unreleased tracks. But we also we did AutoZone Fuck Slut. I'm not proud of a lot of these songs. We wrote them a long time ago, yeah, me yeah. and the band. But I do think when you're creating music, you don't really create music, right? You just perform? Well, I work with Avery. I still write songs with the band. I'm always going to be writing music. It's just something that, that's yeah. inside of me. I think that I think that if you like you grew up playing music and the first thing you did when you came into my apartment is you saw the guitar and then you played it. Well, the first thing you did was pee. Then you picked up the guitar. Well, no, then, no, I had the, I peed with the guitar. You, you peed with the I guitar. I peed in the guitar actually. <laughs> no wonder. <laughs> that's it's why leaking. there's a hole there. No wonder it's leaking. <laughs> but but that's the thing is that we're drawn to it. I was drawn to this podcast just like uh, that's why I figured when I put, picked out the Boss Skaggs record, I was like, I feel like he'd be drawn to this. I feel like there's a lot in this record that you can identify with. I'm laughing now because I'm not laughing, but I'm, I'm amused because I know you're probably not on a baseball team. And you probably have that baseball bat on the floor near the door for, as a weapon. <laughs> yeah, of course, dude. <laughs> but I'm happy that you don't have a gun in here, but you have a baseball bat. Oh, wait, hold on. I'll grab the gun. Hold on. It's, it's uh, <laughs> like, uh, open your legs. There you go. Whoop. And you have a dog. Well, the know? dog, she, I don't think she'll do anything. The baseball bat is just something that we had in Baltimore, and I've just had that bat since then. So I but just, you keep it near the door at ready. <laughs> don't a lot of people do that <laughs> no i would have to look for my baseball bat i have one in the house somewhere but i just don't think anybody's gonna come in so what are you what are you gonna do if somebody breaks into your into your well, let's compound? Say, uh, you're just gonna put on boss gags that's and hope a good for the question best? that's a good question i will fling a boss gags vinyl <laughs> as a weapon <laughs> no you know what i do silk stockings right you gotta throw is it silk stockings yeah I'm at that age you now. Throw, that's uh, a double LP. I'm at that age now, Josh, where I, if I hear a noise downstairs, my, <laughs> my house is three stories. But if I hear a noise downstairs, I used to go down with a weapon in my hand. But now I just go down alone, you know, without any kind of weapon. Why? Because you're just like, just take me. Because I know there's probably nobody down there. And it probably a box fell over, which it did, you know. And uh, you got a lot of unstable boxes in your house, Kev. No, but I remember coming home from uh, the beach and I put my son's boogie board kind of precariously. And I said, that's probably going to fall. And sure enough, like three hours later, it was we were sleeping. I heard a crash. and I thought that's the, probably the boogie board. And I went downstairs and uh, it was an intruder. He, he <laughs> stabbed me in the throat. <laughs> So, you know, you live and you learn, I <laughs> And then guess. he took the boogie board and he left. He, he did. Well, what is your musical background? What, do you, what did you grow up listening well, to? You what know, are you listening to now? And I know that's a, that's a long up, time because you're 90. You know, I am 90. I grew up in, this, you know, in the 70s mostly, the 60s, late 60s and the 70s. Uh, and then I stopped growing. <laughs> but, you know, I, I really, um, the first concert I ever went to, and I ask everybody that, what was the first concert you ever went to? It kind of tells you a lot about where they are in their musical life but the first concert i went to and this was very um emblematic of the bands i was listening to back then it was yes the english band yes i remember yes the roundabout yeah they did the roundabout Home distance run around I love that so much. And then um, Edgar Winter was uh, the don't second Don't know act. that. Don't know that. You That's, don't know Edgar Winter? Wow. 
And then also uh, uh, Eagles, the Eagles. Ooh, that's a yeah. good that's that's one trifecta. Your, that's, that's one, those are your first three concerts? Hartford, Connecticut. That was the first concert I went to. Oh, wow. So I was listening to people like, you know, uh, and I would spend a lot of time at coffee houses listening to um, just people playing the covers of like James Taylor or Joni Mitchell, you know, and I grew up loving James Taylor and I played the guitar growing up and I, I, I would sit for hours trying to figure out James Taylor um, songs, you know, on the record player. We had to lower the needle and get mm-hmm. it right in the right groove. Yeah. And, um, God, had we had, um, you know, YouTube now, or I would probably be an accomplished uh, guitar player. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to us talking about our podcast for a minute. What's the name of that podcast? That's Axe to Grind. Uh, and right now you're going to be getting a little, a little taste of it right down to the shaky microphone and all. <laughs> and my name's Bob. And my name's Patrick. And usually we're joined by Tom. Tom's the best. Tom has a real grown-up job that requires him to be at work, but we talk about decidedly not so grown-up things like hardcore music and things that people that like hardcore music tend to like. So that could be the latest shows, uh, revisiting classic material, talking about the new classics, um, all the little dorm room nonsense that you imagine from a niche music podcast that that you either love want to love or hate yeah imagine all the emotions that you have towards a genre that that uh has impacted your life uh and then condense them down to an hour to two hours a week so triangulate your speakers think about jumping off the bed singing along dancing like an idiot and listen to axe grind podcast Did your dad influence you in some not of the music all. choices? No, See, not at all. I'm the opposite. In fact, you know, at his at his 90th birthday party, we put together um, a soundtrack, and a lot of it was Sinatra. And it wasn't until um, this past April, his memorial, he passed away recently, that my mother told me that my father never liked Frank Sinatra. Really? <laughs> I said, why didn't you tell me that at the birthday? <laughs> but, you know, so James Taylor, Sly and the Family Stone, a lot of Motown. I love Motown growing up. Stevie Wonder, you know, um, um, the Temptations, all that Aretha Franklin. I mean, you're growing up. You were born. What, what year were you born? Fifty three. So you're growing up, and and where I feel like American music really started to flourish. I mean, it was just. It's like everything you just mentioned. You have Motown. You have like the real oranges of rock. Then you have the British invasion coming yeah, in at the yeah, same the time. There's so many great influences of that time. But then also, uh, the world was kind of falling apart and probably scary as fuck. Too, the older you started getting Not into the 60s. I wasn't afraid of it. But or, but as I got older, you know, I watched everybody else reacting to the world falling apart or or to their displeasure with the world, with protests, with Vietnam and yeah. all that. You know, the hippies. I was just a little bit younger, too young to be a hippie. But yeah, I would listen to uh, the Beatles and Elvis were my two big ones when I was like 10. And I went to tons of concerts, you know, when I was growing up. I didn't go to Woodstock. I was like 15 at the time, I think. But, um, but yeah, I just loved, I loved uh, Judy Collins. And um, 
Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I mean, you're just naming some I, of the greatest I, music ever written. I went to the Gelsons uh, about a week, <clears throat> a week ago. I mm-hmm. walk in through the, the doors open up, and there's Stephen Stills. Really? Sitting right there. And I remember it was so cool because I used to sit in the parking lot of my college when it was raining out. I'd listen to an eight-track tape of uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash you know, at their mm-hmm. peak. And here I am walking into Gelson's, and I see him there with his wife, and we talk. So then you already kind of know him then. I, yeah, I, I've gotten to know all these people over the years from being on SNL. Yeah. Because I, not Crosby, Stills, and Nash, but I got to know all of my, these dinosaurs that I grew up with, like Eric Clapton, you know, um, Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, Aerosmith, all those guys, Paul Simon, James Taylor. So those were the kind of bands that I, I grew up listening to. And now I listen to... I have an 11-year-old, so I'm kind of staying connected in the music world. I'm, I'm not driving around listening to the 60s on my XM radio. Sure, you know? of course. It's Lil I'm, Pump. What's he listening to? He's listening to, he kind of likes what I would like, and I kind of like the music. It's all Ed Sheeran stuff, and it was One Direction for a while, and, and, and Taylor Swift. But now it's kind of uh, Sam Smith. Is that it, Sam Smith? Sam Smith, he's great. Uh, Philip Phillips. Don't know him. You don't know him? Uh, I'm so f- I like Ed Sheeran. It's, and now he's going. He's going back too. He's he's enjoying Michael Jackson, and I'm turning him on to a lot of the things like Queen. And that's great. So, what was your first experience with Boz Skaggs? Like, how did you did you hear about him before this? Of course, you probably did. But do you have any history growing up with Boz? I do have history growing up with Boz Skaggs because he was being played when I was growing up on the radio and and you know wherever. But I don't re- specifically remember, you know, when I first heard about Boss Gags or going. I've never been to one of his concerts. I think I walked up the stairs with him in New York once. He was behind me going to some event, <laughs> and I remember him talking and somebody was saying, "Hey, that's Boss Gags with Jan Winter," you know. And uh, but I, I don't specifically remember the time. But what was interesting about Boss Gags is he was around in the '60s. You know, he did play with the Steve Miller Band, but. He his music wasn't the psychedelic music that you heard from all the other bands sure. back in the '60s, late '60s and early '70s. You know, he had his own soft kind of rock. It was kind of a some Texas kind of um, I don't even know what you. Well, call I think it. if this is his debut album, this is the bu- the debut how, deb- how do you say it debut debut. If this is the debut, <laughs> it's so hard to say. If this is the debut album. I mean, there's not one genre that goes across from start to finish. I mean, it's gospel, it's country, it's rock, it's funk. It's, uh, I mean, it's, he, he hasn't limited himself to the scope of what he's trying to paint. And that's what I think was, was so impressive the first time I heard it, because I wasn't expecting any of that. I wasn't yeah. expecting it to start off with I'm Easy. Yeah. No, that's a good song. That's one of my favorite songs on the album. That's just such... It was like when I put that on and he started with that... It's you, Bob, Bob, skip, I mean, I immediately was like, this is fucking Boz Skaggs? Yeah. I thought this guy was like dentist music. And then I went through the other songs for later in life... And that's when I found out. I was like, oh, no, he, he became. He had like a dentist music period with Lowdown and with Lido Shuffle and with JoJo. And it's like I just started listening to all of that stuff. And it was like I realized how much I actually knew his music. Yeah, yeah. You know, we were talking about influences and stuff. But I think in his music, I think, I mean, I think he might have been influenced by Van Morrison a little bit. Maybe Eric Clapton. So I went through some of the influences. I definitely hear Wilson Pickett. 
Yeah. Definitely hear Wilson Pickett. I hear Hank Williams, Al Green, Otis Redding, the band, and the Beatles. Like, Did that's... you hear Willie Nelson at all? I did hear Willie Nelson. Yeah. I heard Willie Nelson on Look What I Got. You know what I love about his music, What's too? That? It's just It is just a full bouquet of horns and the Hammond B3 organ and the backup singers. All of that kind of Motown stuff that I like listening to is right here. You know, I mean, stuff, you know, back then, Earth, Wind & Fire was popular, the, you know, Tower Power. Such a great the, band, the, yeah. The, uh, he had his own kind of style, really. I mean, there weren't many other bands, even though he was influenced by, all the, I think, those people. He was doing his own thing. Like I said, he wasn't doing that psychedelic thing, you know? Well, it's the exact opposite of, like, I, I was reading about what was going on in the world, of course, and there's there's so much, you have 68, where, like, MLK gets killed, RFK gets killed, Vietnam starts, I mean, you can keep going, and then in 69, you have the Manson family, and the Summer of Love, and Woodstock, and it's like, Boss what if you just, doesn't... What if you just listed all the serial killers over the period of time? You know, so you, you have, have the Jeffrey Dahmer, you have the BTK. You John Wayne Gacy. John Wayne you know, Gacy and... was actually the mixer on the record for some reason. I don't know how he got in there. I was, was starting my way out of this apartment right now. <laughs> <laughs> that were the case. Why, yeah. why are you taking Lekka? Bring the dog back. <laughs> but yeah, all of those uh, events but during that, that period. But that's what you're saying. That I can see the psychedelic period coming from that. Yeah. I can see and drugs. Well, and dr- well, that's what I'm saying. It's like you need the drugs because you're so overwhelmed by what's going on in the world. That's true. I mean, it's uh, imagine if like we with what's going on now, and then you see some of the music that your son's listening to. And I mean, he's listening to Ed Sheeran, so that's which is great. But it's like it's still very like layered in the '70s of like you said, Crosby, Stills and Nash, and things like that. But but like the hip hop and even some of the rock is starting to turn to be a little bit more aggressive. So almost like as an energy release for like the, what people are kind of dealing with now. Yeah, Does yeah. that make sense? A little yeah. too deep. I'm not that deep of a person, but I feel that was a pretty good statement. Uh, so listeners, uh, tell me, you know, send me a, a tweet about it if I just said something good. What I'm trying to say is I think Boz went the exact opposite of what was going on in the world. I mean, this whole record is is songs about losing love but in like a very sweet way like i'm easy is just like nah man if you just want to if we're going to be together and you're going to act this way it's like no i'm easy man i'm just gonna you know i don't really need you and then what is the other one look what i've got finding her now you're gone these are all another day another letter i mean they're these are all just songs about like losing love yeah yeah and these are precursors to so many of the big hits he had later in the 70s and early 80s i think i think because... it's really uh, fascinating <laughs> that you found this record i never heard of it you know until you you you've never heard of this no, record i never heard of it this was know. actually a pretty easy record to find because it was just number 490 this must have been before i heard of boss gags and before i started listening to the songs that i knew him from well this was this actually came out in 69 this yeah. came out august of 1969 and was recorded at Muscle Shoals Sound Records in Muscle Shoals Alabama. You had mentioned earlier about the Motown sound of this record. So there's four guys that were basically four or five guys that are these background musicians that worked at this one recording studio in the middle of fucking nowhere in Alabama. 
and these four white guys are basically the backing band and backing sound for some of the greatest songs ever written. You've got from just from just songs Mustang Sally, uh, Aretha Franklin, Respect, Etta James, Tell Mama, Percy Sledge, uh, Take Time to Know Her, Hey Jude by Wilson Pickett, Kodachrome by Paul Simon. Wow. I mean, they worked on everything. Yeah. And so when I was listening to the record and I was trying to find the angle of like how Boz Skaggs was this special individual through more research, I found out about the Muscle Shoals and like this this whole era of these four white guys and what they created and just the sound that they created. I mean, some of the greatest records ever were made there. Not just the I feel like like the Boss Skaggs record is a good record, but I think it's more about the Muscle Shoals than anything else. Yeah, I mean the music is uh, it's extraordinary on this on this thing, and I love the B three, the Hammond B three organ that has such it, it elicits such fond memories of me because I grew up listening to like the Rascals, you know, and um, uh, like Vanilla Fudge, the Vanilla Fudge. They had, I don't know the Vanilla everybody Fudge. Everybody in the seventies had the big. Hammond B3 organs and I was in garage bands where we had the Hammond B3 sure. organs so when I hear that like on a record like this and it's pretty um, prevalent throughout the um, record it really brings back a lot of memories to me the four of these guys definitely probably were involved in most of the music you grew up listening <laughs> they were to definitely probably definitely probably I mean <laughs> Brown Sugar Rolling Stones Wild yeah. Horses uh, by the Rolling Stones they played on all these they played on all of these. They did their share named her record 3614 Jackson Highway after the address of the recording studio. Yeah. The gentleman, Rick Hall, who is the father of Music Shoals, had Barry Beckett on keyboard. That's the Hammond you're hearing. Roger Hawkins is a drummer. Bassist David Hood and guitarist Jimmy Johnson, a.k.a. the Swampers. And you've never heard of the Swampers? No. Just four of the nerdiest looking white southern guys you've ever seen. Nothing special about it, but these four or five guys just had a sound and were just such good rhythm sections that when Paul Simon heard some of the records they were on and he called Rick and was like, hey, Rick, I want to hire those four black guys that you had backing X, Y, or Z. And he was like, yeah, well, you're going to be a little surprised or a little light skinned. And then they showed up. And then if you watch the documentary that's that I just watched, it's it's insane because these guys are playing on some of the most like urban records like some of the like like the stack stuff the the motown sound like all that stuff you were talking about and it's just like four regular white dudes yeah but they're so talented and just so amazing Can they play basketball probably not i don't know maybe i mean they probably shot they had to shoot hoops with percy sledge i mean that's kind of the thing that he yeah. does you know I don't know if Aretha was really, uh, you know, a good jump shooter or anything like that, but but who knows? I mean, maybe she played. Yeah. But it just kind of reminds me of, of working with where you're at and who you've worked with and being this, like, consistent, just you're, you're performing with some of the funniest people alive and supporting them in either different roles or you're, or you're co-starring or, or starring alongside. Like, like, how do you handle that? when you're taking that kind of in consideration to some of the people you've worked with? Well, you know, you absolutely respect their, their talent and you, you appreciate the opportunity to work with them. I was just talking to somebody about this the other day. You know, when you've been in the business for quite a while now, like I have been almost 40 years, mm-hmm. you go through a, an evolution where you're not the young guy in the room anymore. It's like you've been around. You know, it's like most people have not been around as, much, as long as you have been. So you're not as intimidated anymore. Although you respect their talent, it's not like you're 
nervous around them or you know you're just um interested to find out you know what they're up to and and uh you know how they work how they think and that's the same way i think with musicians you know i love seeing uh get in a room with a bunch of musicians you know that are well known and they all know each other or you get somebody like um it's fun seeing guys like john mayer or even ed sheeran you know getting together with older established musicians like john mayer's been touring with grateful dead and uh how effortlessly he just seems to meld in with that band and and he's just uh, he's just like a sponge he's absorbing all of their years of music and touring into his head i'm sure and you know taking away whatever he can from it so how much training did you do to get started when when you decided that you wanted to start pursuing comedy like what was your first step i mean whereas boz skaggs went and you know worked with steve miller and then saw all these british musicians going to europe so what he did was go to england to be around them so he could kind of absorb that like how do you feel that? Yeah, you, I mean, you for you know, as it. you know, with stand-up, it, it was different than music because stand-up was more of a novelty thing back when I started. You know, back in the um, late '70s, early '80s, it was more of a unique occupation. You know that that p- some people did, and um, music was everywhere and had been everywhere for a long time. So what I did was, um, you know, I had to find. The clubs that I've been hearing about, these stand-up clubs, like I lived outside of New York. I grew up in Connecticut, so I was about an hour and 15 minutes outside, and there was clubs like Catch a Rising Star, The Improv, Comic Strip Live. Those were the three big clubs in New York City, which intimidated me, the city itself. You know, it was difficult for me to go in there. So I would go in there, and I would find um, the clubs and um, experience uh, what it was like to do stand-up for other people. I, would, I wouldn't do it myself because mm-hmm. I didn't have an act or any material or any jokes. And then um, after realizing that New York was too um, stressful for me to, to be in that city because of the intensity of the comics, you know, they seem a little more brash and New Yorkers seemed a little more harsh as an audience. I thought, let me go out to New York. I, I mean, let me go to Los Angeles. I've always wanted to see what New, uh, Los Angeles was like. And I could do stand-up there because people are more laid back. You know? Of course, yeah. I thought in my head, there are more prop comics out there. You know, they're more forgiving, <laughs> you know. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. So I came out here and, you know, you just find you, you immerse yourself. It's like when you're, if you're learning another language, if you live in that country, you learn to speak it quicker. So when you come to a place like Los Angeles to get into stand-up comedy, you immerse yourself in the comedy uh, world of, of stand-up clubs. And that's where you pretty much you live and you watch and you write and you start developing a style. So that's what I did. And it just comes to, if you love it, it's all organic. It's not like you have a big plan. It's just that you're putting yourself in that environment and it happens and you meet you meet people and you see everybody's style and 
you know, who's doing what and who can get on that show and who you, you know, what other clubs are you can work at if you can't get into one. Well, you, well, we were talking about how how Boz met up and uh, befriended Steve Miller. Like, who were some of your early comedy friends that that you kind of, you know, like just uh, that was your that was your homeboy, that was your road dog, that was somebody that you that you were like, all right, like I, I like what they're doing, I want to kind of follow that path. Well, when I first came out here, I got a job working at the Improv as a bartender. So I got to be amongst all the comics and watch them all come in, from Andy Kaufman to Robin Williams, Jay Leno, Letterman, Albert Brooks. And I would see them all perform. And they were out of my league to hang out with or anything, you know. But I would watch and learn from them. But some of the guys that were more of my mentors were like Gary Shandling was a big mentor of mine. Um, uh, I, you know, just before I got into stand-up, I was big fans of uh, Andy Kaufman, Albert Brooks, and Steve Martin because they were yeah. so unique and different, you know. But I, um, you know, Sarah Silverman, uh, we were, we've been friends for a long time. And there's a lot of guys that I started with that are writers now. You know, they started in stand-up. Like Dave Merkin is an executive producer on The Simpsons. He got out of comedy. But we all started the same open mic nights. Well, you mentioned Gary Shandling. Like, tell me more about that. Like, so when you met him, were you both at the same level when you both started? Or no, was Gary, he Gary had gotten here a few years before me from Tucson, Arizona. And he was a writer. But he wanted to do stand-up. But he got a job writing on Sanford and Son, which was a series back then. And welcome back, Cotter. And then, of course, he developed his own series. But he was, uh, he was a stand-up that I would watch, and I tried to emulate. And, um, and I'd watch him on The Tonight Show and just watch his moves and his timing. And, and, I, and it was somebody that I kind of, kind of glommed onto as, a, as, a, as, as my mentor. Not even, it wasn't like an official thing, but I learned a lot from him. And I'm trying to think of other comics that... Um, you know, I liked Stephen Wright. We didn't hang out, but I liked him. Um, but like Sarah Silverman, Paula Poundstone, Dana Carvey. Yeah, man. Um, was, you know, we've been buddies forever. Um, so we were all kind of like in that same kind of generation of comedy back then. I didn't even have an act, you know, when I came out to Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I, had a, I took a bunch of typewriter paper, and I taped it together, made a long scroll, and I just started writing all of my material in that. You know, and I try to memorize it at home, un unravel the scroll. So you were, so you had like your own little teleprompter. Yeah, th those are my dead joke scroll. <laughs> and, um, and it just, it just, they were just. I was trying to find a style and trying to learn how to write jokes, and uh, and it took a long time. But so many open mic nights, so many waiting in line. I've waited in more lines than I think anybody at Disneyland has ever waited at, at open mic nights, you know, <laughs> just trying to get on. That's kind of how I, I started. And I would just kind of hang out at the improv. And if friends came out to visit me from the East Coast and they wanted a tour of L.A., I said, I really don't know. I could bring down the improv. I could show you the improv because that was my, my hangout. So back to Boz, yeah. back to the Skags. What did you experience the first time you listened to the record? Well, I will tell you, there was two songs I liked on it. It was... Um, I'm easy. It's the first song. That's yeah. the header, man. That's the way. It, that's the way it clicks off. And then it was the one with the great lead in it. The, uh, Loan me a dime. Loan me a dime. I like those two. And at the time, I thought that's really all I liked on this album. But then, then the more I listened to it, the same experience. Keep going. Like the way on the way over here today, I listened to it, and there was only two songs that I didn't like. And I'm not saying that they're not good songs. Ex it's just I, I completely that it's not agree. my style. You Complete. Know? <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm wondering what yours are if they're the same as mine. Like, I'm sure they are. Well, hold on. What are yours? Now you're gone. The country twang. Yeah. Will y'all be Badabowski do Actually, but it's the thing is, it's. It's cheesy as fuck, but I, I do kind of love it. I hated it at first, 
But now it's like, but just that chorus. That, but now you're gone, and I can't bamboo anymore. Every I wanted to hate songs off this record, but I just can't. That's the problem with this record. I can't hate anything off of it. What was the other one? Waiting for a train. surprised you didn't identify with waiting for a train because it's a song uh about, matter it's what basic, the lyrics are about well okay well i mean maybe <laughs> i feel like it does a little bit after all this research here we go it says so the song i don't understand how you couldn't like it there's a good yodel at the end <laughs> and a yodel sells everything when i heard the yodel i thought that's it that's it, dude. That's the kicker. Yeah. So it's basically a drifter. He's a drifter in Europe, working odd jobs, traveling around Europe. You know, that's nice, but just email it to me. I don't need a song. You don't need to have the country western. Hey there, it is. Kevin. I'm telling my story. I'm sorry you don't like what I've been through. So Boss traveled to England and to Sweden after college. And uh, I always look at your Instagram and you always seem to be on vacation. What's your favorite and what's your most exciting vacation that you take? Well, or you my, have my taken? life is pretty much a vacation because I enjoy like what that. I'm doing. No, I like that answer. Yeah. That's, that's, the, uh, that's like the, the Taoist answer. Yeah. Just go with the flow. And I travel a fair amount doing stand-up, so I get to go to some pretty cool places. And a lot of the times I do what I want to do because I'm alone, you know? And um, But I think uh, to answer your question, um, Europe has been kind of my favorite Amsterdam I you like, were just in Paris. Amsterdam yeah I like Amsterdam and Paris I love Amsterdam I spent a month in Amsterdam you did I, when I was I backpacked through Europe uh, for about seven and a half months with my buddy Joel what I, I inherited forty thousand dollars from my uh, my uh, great uncle and uh, my gave twenty thousand to my mom and dad to pay the house back and then with the other twenty thousand I just spent it as fast as I could yeah you don't want that hanging around no I just I mean I was 18 I'd never had money before and uh, so I had a buddy that was in the military and he was like go to Europe he's like you'll love it and so well he really said go to Europe you'll get laid and I was like all right perfect that's I'm an 18 year old kid and uh, we went and we just backpacked started in England and just worked our way down like you know France Spain Italy and then we just worked our way up to get to Amsterdam and and just we just didn't want to leave we just wanted to keep smoking weed all day long take trains did take the trains. We youth read, hostels? We, a lot of youth hostels, yeah. We stayed at youth yeah. hostels throughout the whole trip. Um, we uh, Everybody was like, go to Casa Rosa, the uh, the sex show. Did you Have you been to that? No. It's like this famous thing in the red light district. Is that at, is that at um, Euro Disney? It's it's much like Euro Disney. Yeah. Um, you know, not as sticky. Oh. Um, but we go to that, and uh, there's like five acts in the... Uh, I guess in the uh, the show, if you want to call it that, it's just people come out and like they they bring the curtains back and a couple's having sex. They play like you know really beautiful music by like Enigma, just like woo woo, and it's very romantic sex. And then they had this woman come out and they played the Benny Hill music, and people like threw, you know, she had like a dildo on their he- on her head or something. And they threw these like donuts on it. And then the last act, which is where the point of this story was, this guy comes out and he has sex, and it's. He's got the biggest penis I'd ever seen in my life. 
Like, hands down, to this day, I don't think I've ever seen a bigger penis. Maybe LeVar Burton, when I saw him at the bathhouse over on uh, Beverly and Oxford. Because it blew me away. But we see this guy, he has this huge penis, and we're high, and we're just like, think nothing of it. And then the next day, we're sitting out in this little square. And you know, because of Amsterdam, there's cars everywhere, there's the trains, and then there's uh, the bicyclists and people walking everywhere. And we're high sitting on this stoop. And suddenly there's a bicyclist gets hit. What year hit. is this? This is 1997. It was, uh, yeah. it was when uh, Bill Clinton was going through the impeachment stuff. So we're sitting there, and this bicyclist is, is like just catches my attention, and suddenly he cuts quickly, and a car hits him, and the bicyclist flips over the car, and it's like mangled on the ground. And me and my buddy Joel are there, and we run over. Take the bike. We take take the bike, take all his money. (laughs) No, but we run over there to see if everything's okay. And the guy that got hit by the car was the big dick Dutch dude that we saw have sex the night before. No way. We were like, is he okay? Is his penis okay? Was he okay? He was fine. I mean, I think he's like just scraped up a little bit. He was fucking later that night. Good for him. Back to work. It all leads to this. We start at I'm Easy. I'll be long gone. Very slow. I mean, it's a, a, a nice song. Another day, another letter. Very sweet. I did think the lyrics were a little Yoda-y. I don't know if yeah. you got what, to hear what, them. What's the actual name of the album? The actual name is just Boz Skaggs, Boz Skaggs. But here are some of the lyrics. Unto another you bring me trust, and with each footstep a doubt you remove, and it will follow as follow it must. No love is pretended. No love need you prove. I mean, if that's not... You see, I couldn't even listen to those lyrics as you were saying them. <laughs> that's how hard it is for me to listen to lyrics. So, you know, this is how it would go. It would be like this. Unto another you bring me trust. And with each Not like that. <laughs> it's so good. It's uh, the lyrics are weird, but it's fucking. It's good. I don't dislike it. It's just that it's not really. It's not on my palate right now for what I'm. I have a taste for. Okay, so you said you have a taste for "Loan Me a Dime." So let's concentrate on that song because yeah, what what attracted you to "Loan Me a Dime" and why? Well, it's what attracts me uh, to any song. It's it's the music. It's the beat. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that. Wait, no, for real. Like I what? love the bluesiness of it. There it is. I that's, love that's the guitar. What I there I it is. I love the riff on the guitar. I love the horns in there, and again the Hammond B three organ. I love the guitar riff, and I like that kind of bluesy, kind of um, you know breakup song. The album, in my opinion, is good. That song is a Hall of Fame song. The second that organ comes in, right from the beginning, that do no no no. But even the way the whole song starts, it kind of smooth, buttery, kind of a riff on the guitar, kind of just drawing you into it. Do you know who the guitarist is? Is it Jimi Hendrix? No. (laughs) Dwayne Allman. Is it Dwayne Allman? It is Dwayne Allman. And supposedly, what I read was they were working with Dwayne. He was working with Muscle Shoals. He was giving him his first, they were giving him his first start. He had left to form the Almond Brothers. And then Boz had heard him and was like, I want him to play slide guitar on this song. Yeah, there was a good slide guitar in there. And without a doubt, the thing that sticks out about that song 
is there's two there's a there's a minute guitar solo he comes back to sing again right. and then there is roughly from minute 740 it's just one long guitar solo up until minute 12 so that's you're talking a 5 minute guitar solo that is up there with I mean, I don't want to say this is up there with some of the greatest guitar solos of all time. I mean, you can't hum it like you can hum. And I know I might get made fun of for saying this one, but like, you know, Slash and November Rain. Um, this is this is me showing what I grew up with right yeah. now. Like the fucking like that whole fuck. All right. Yeah. You're looking at me weird. All right. Part, move. What I'm no, saying no. is no, no. what I'm saying is, is that is that that solo is so powerful I feel that it it actually is what takes this album from just being okay. This is a guy's good debut album to being like being on this list. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just super powerful. Like, what did you feel and what did you experience when you were listening to it? When I was listening to that song, it was very moving. I love a good like heartache song, you mm-hmm. know. And that was that had everything in it. It had it had everything that I loved. It's it's kind of like. He probably couldn't start seeing again because he was too upset, and the lead guitarist had to keep playing. <laughs> but I like, you know, I just like everything about it. I, you know, I can't dissect it any more than that. It's just that music is a mood that that, that you know is created for you, and um, sometimes you don't know why you you like something so much. I just I love the way it made me feel. I liked, um, you know, I play the guitar a little bit, so. You know, when I when I hear the notes, when I hear the guitar, I try to. I'm wondering, is that a Fender guitar? Is that a Stratocaster played through a Fender uh, reverb? Band? So you're thinking more of the. Uh, I'm thinking the of everything. Yeah, I'm thinking of the instruments, the sound it's it's getting out. And I also wonder, you know, back then, '69, you know, what were the recording studios like? Even for the Beatles, I mean, if they had what we have now, you know, I don't think it would be the same. I, I really don't. I think that's why. I think the reason why it's this got a grittier album, feel. I think the reason why this album sounds so good and has that that crispness, but also it still has this. I don't know this. I'm like contradicting myself, but this dirty feel to it. I mean, that solo and that like loan me a dime. Uh, even I'm easy. I mean, there it's it just has that that I don't want to call it chunky, but it's just something about the room. It's just that you know the way the drum sound, the way that the guitar sound, the way they all merge together. I feel that there are certain places that only can capture that. I mean, you've you've performed all over the country in a shitload of different venues. Um, I mean, wouldn't you say that some rooms just have a better sound of laughter, have a better sound of or feel for yeah. the audience? Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of that, what are like some of the best rooms? Like, name one of those rooms. I mean, the one that I could think of is uh, is Comedy Works in Laramie. I mean, that's or even the Ice House here in Pasadena. It's just the the acoustics in that room. Just the laughter just comes at you, and I think that's the same thing with some of these old recording studios. Yeah, yeah. The Ice House is great. I like. Um, I. I Filmed the Netflix special at the uh, Comedy Works in um, in Landmark Village. Oh uh, wow! Yeah, in Denver, that's a great room. Um, there's um, they're getting it now. All these new clubs are really getting the sound right. They yeah. know exactly uh, you know what it should be. There's a great club out in Oxnard. Levity Live. Levity Live. I just did it's it. Good. It's fantastic. Yeah, that's got a good sound to it too. They have a good steak there. They have a really <laughs> good steak, steak sound. Steak. The steak. Steak sounds good. Steak sounds like this. It goes. Yeah. Isn't that good? The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. I feel like the Yeah! Yeah! Oh, no. No, 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 no. 
The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. So getting back to Boss Gags now, <laughs> how do you think he decides on what songs to put on this album and what not to put on there? You have to have to, I, I, a sprinkling of, it's like a recipe. You have to have a little bit of heartbreak. You have to have a little bit of optimism and hope, right, in your songs? Completely. I, I think, well, I think that there is, do you, let's just ask that question. Do you think there's a common core, or like a common theme throughout this record? I think there is. What is it? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of heartbreak and hope. Where's know? the hope? That's what I ask myself every day. Where's the hope? <laughs> Where is the hope? Where's the love? Where is the love? But it is kind of sad to see some of these uh, some of these singers getting older now where they can't hit the notes anymore. Yeah, I, you know what's funny is I just went to go see Guns N' Roses and thinking that's the way his voice would sound, that it wouldn't be up to par. And Axl Rose not only sang better, but he hit like every note from every al- from the album and it was just incredible. And was his weight to the original weight again? Or? They the funny thing about the Guns N' Roses guys is that all of them are slightly overweight, which which you know as the older you get, that's that's pardon <coughs> Slash. Slash had like a leather vest on, and it kind of like went oh the way it was instead of like going flat down and being you know snug to the body and looked more of like a tent. Like there was like, <laughs> yeah. like there was like, there was like room in the neck and the V neck that stuck out more instead of laid on the body. Yeah. Uh, the only one that was really in good shape was Duff, and that's only because <laughs> he used to do heroin. So oh. heroin keeps you skinny. I don't know what it is, but I was watching the documentary Keith Richards, perfect shape. He's ripped. Went to see Iggy Pop, ripped. Yeah. Me, Those guys have always been ripped, though. I'm in great shape. That's, people <laughs> ask me how I stay in great shape, and I'm like, just be addicted to Oxycontin for 10 years. This, and then you'll look like this. You'll look, you know, like Billy Bob Thornton when he was dating Angelina Jolie, but I mean, that's still, still a good look. I he, tried Oxycontin once, and it felt so good. I had hip surgery, and it felt so good. I was so happy. I thought, oh, it's going to take me a while to heal. And then I tried it again, and nothing. I got nothing from it. Really? Yeah. Do you remember what it looked like? Do you remember the milligram? I don't remember. I take so many pills. Do you? <laughs> no, I don't. So, speaking of getting older, did you yeah. listen to Sweet Release? Yeah. Did, Sweet, the, the final That's song nice on the yeah, record? I, like I mean, it's literally about, about dying, being able to give it up, and just being able to accept it. I was born on a side road. While the town was burning my dark I don't see Boz Gags performing much. Does he perform? Yeah, he's actually he's, he's on he's, tour. He's playing the he's playing like the Malibu wine circuit. Like that's kind of Oh nice. I started looking at some of the other bands from his era. Seals and Croft. Yeah. Just incredible. Loggins and Messina, Dan Fogelberg, Orleans, Little River Band. Yeah. Ambrosia. After listening to this, to see that the album gets on the 500 greatest records list, do you think Boz had any idea that what he was making was going to be so important for him? He was probably hopeful. It's hard to kind of like go back in time and f- and think about what you know how great this album would be, or if it would be on the top 500 list. You know, because it was so long ago. 
Well, let me look but at it. At the like, time, he was probably hopeful. I mean, it was his first album, was it? This was his first one, and, yeah. and, it, and it was released, and then he re-released it in 74, and that's when it actually got some airplay. Really? So it was a complete failure when it came out. Gee, well, let's yeah. look at it like you. It was I before mean, social media. Before, before social media. Well, no, was, 74 when it MySpace came out. was around back yeah. then. MySpace <laughs> was still around. Tom was still there. He was a lot younger. I think he might have just been a sperm. But look at it like in, with you. Have there been moments in your career that – Looking back at it, you could be like, wow, I didn't realize how important that was. And excluding, I mean, I could say SNL, of course, but SNL is like, of course, that's the no-brainer. I mean, was there something before that that really that you felt that that maybe was like that catalyst to get you to SNL or, or even more, or even later in life? Well, Josh, the highlight of my career to this day, it was doing The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. That was like passing your bar exam as a, you know, as a comic. You know, you you got on that show, and that was really the only game back then. If you got on the Tonight Show with Johnny and did stand up, that validated you as a stand up. So not only did I get on, but I got called over to the couch, and it was just like really the highlight of my career to this day, more so than uh, SNL or Weeds or any of those shows. Um, and I don't think they have anything like that anymore. I mean, maybe some people think of they used to think of Letterman that way. You know, some of the younger comics or. Now, I don't know who it is, Fallon or whomever, you know. I don't think there's anything like The Tonight Show. Maybe I mean, people are saying Rogan because you do Rogan and he's getting these 3 million to 4 million downloads a week. But I don't even know if doing a late night set now would still have that much weight that it carried back in yeah. 1943. <laughs> Just before the war. You were, you were Steve Allen was the host, right? Steve Allen was Steve the host Allen. Joy Bishop. This is like the coolest thing in the world just to know that if you would have told me when I was younger watching Coneheads. I still have that jacket. Do I have you the, really? The jacket from, it's in my closet. I wore it um, a couple weeks ago somewhere. It's a white jacket with a blue writing on the back. And I got a bunch of SNL jackets from back in the 80s. What, uh, the T-shirts. I don't wear any of that stuff. Do I don't, never, I don't typically break? wear slogan stuff. You know? Me neither. Even though I have the canners thing on right now. But that's that's kitschy. Yeah, that's kitschy. And yeah. and Canners is like a staple of Los Angeles. I was just there last night. I just did the really? kib- I played performed in the Kibitz room. It was one of the funnest shows I've done in a while. And then we all went out to eat and it's just the food there is never good. And yet I still go all the time because I feel like I'm at my Bubby's house. Bubby is grandmother in uh Yiddish. I thought I was waiting to see if you were going to get the word Yiddish out for a second because yeah. you, you took it took you a while to get there. You were like, I saw your lips go through a bunch of I different consonants. Yiddish. Do you? Yeah, hit me with some. Was soll sagen? Ah, Schachenachen. Ich kann viel viel Yiddish sprechen. Ja, Wassendachen. Actually, it's German. I'm coughing Jachen. Yeah, it's German, dude. Yeah, ich kann ein bisschen Deutsch sprechen, aber nicht so viel. Verstehst du das? Da. Aber natürlich, ja. Ein. Ein is one. Ein is one. What is da? Da is it's like is that's, Russian. That's for, Russian. Yeah. For yes, fuck. All right. I'm exposed. The sleeper. <laughs> the, the sleeper. The sleeper cell is exposed. You know what's funny? Me and my ex girlfriend. One of our safe words was kishkas. <laughs> All right. Kanish would have been a better word. No. What we did it was it was kishkas, and then it was also spilkas. Spilkus, yeah, Spilkus I get that was the other one. Spilkus was the other safe word. We had a du- it was a double safe word. You know, Bud Freeman at the Improv made me an honorary Jew. You're, yeah, you're not Jewish. No, that's too bad for the Jews. Yeah, for the that's what I'm saying. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. We need you. So, in closing, if you had to open a movie about your life with one of the songs from this record, what would it be? I'm easy. 
because I think I am easy. You are very Isn't easy. Isn't that a song by John Carradine, too? His big hit? I'm I don't easy. know that one. Because I'm easy. Yeah. What are you going to... All right, so what, what's going to close the movie, then, on your life? What song? Yeah. Uh, from this album? Mm-hmm. Um, probably... Um, Loan Me a Dime. Those are your two favorite songs. That's why you're doing that. They are. As long as they're not the two cowboy songs. No, I think... I think <laughs> <laughs> waiting for a Train. I mean, I'm surprised that didn't stick with you more. It's one of those songs, like you were saying earlier, it's like you were like, I didn't like this, I don't like this at all, and I just, I just tried to skip over those songs, but I kept coming back to it, and now I can look at the album as a complete whole. Again, it's not that I didn't like it, it's just it didn't really, I, I, didn't, I didn't connect with it. it. It wasn't the mood I was in, you know? You're a, you, dude, you're a Lido Shuffle guy, you're an I'm Easy. I'm a Georgia guy. You're Georgia, 100%. Lonely you're Georgia. Dime, Georgia, I'm Easy. Thank you, Kevin, for coming right, buddy. on, buddy. Thanks, I, I love Thanks you to death. Me, man. We learned a lot about Boz. We today. learned a lot about Boz. I want you to get on the phone right now. I want you to call Lauren Michaels and tell him to book Boz to open season. What season are they on? Fucking, I don't know, fucking 45, 46. I love you to death, buddy. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you, Josh. One of the best people I know. Kevin Nealon, ladies and gentlemen. For all things Kevin Nealon, you can find him on his website at kevinnealon.com and Kevin Nealon on all social media. Go to our website where I'll be posting his mixtape track listing and we'll put that link uh, on social media and on all music platforms for you guys to get inside the head of Mr. Kevin Nealon. Email this podcast at the500podcast at Gmail. Dot com. Do you guys want to hear some of these emails? Well, here we go, guys. Valerie Lopez emailed us. She goes, I can't remember the last time I was this excited about a podcast. I joined Patreon and plan to review the podcast. I guess she has a podcast where she uh, she breaks down podcasts. I'm sure you've been inundated with suggestions, and I'll try to keep this brief. And then she goes ahead and suggests a few people. She said, for Bruce Springsteen, we have... Radio personality Bob Fonseca, and he's an expert in all things Bruce. Maybe I'll talk to him when I go to Moon Tower. The Cure, you possibly met Matt Bearden. There's another person. And then Radiohead, she wants to do Radiohead. Hmm. We'll see. A lot of people are fighting over Radiohead. I'm not going to lie. She's like, I'm looking forward to the live edition of the 500 at Moon Tower next year, and this is going to be great to hear about. I'm so thrilled that you're joining the podcasting universe. And this is such a perfect project for you. I'm looking forward to the next 9.61 years. Thank you, sweetheart. I'm really happy to be doing this, too. So thank you, Valerie. And then, all right, here we go. Email number two from Ryan in Canada. We're going to Canada, everybody. Greetings, Grand Mixer Jam. Thanks to a raving endorsement from Butt Cruster. That's Bert Kreischer. I checked out the 500 podcast. Cue the choirs of angels. I've really enjoyed all your episodes so far, but this app with Ryan Sickler kicked my ass. We got a really good response from the Ryan Sickler uh, episode. I've known him for years. Best friends. Loved his stories about growing up and listening to the blues like it was mother's milk. And then he drew, I guess, computer titties. I can't really... Yeah, so he, he drew computer titties. That's what he did. But more importantly, I realized I had a copy on vinyl that a friend sent me four years ago that I hadn't spun. What the fuck? I had to fix that immediately. 
Huge thanks to you two music geeks for getting me in line. Can't wait to take this journey with you. Thanks again from Lethbridge, Alberta, Canada. Cheers. Thank you, Ryan. Co-Peters. I love you, Ryan. And then we got a comment on our YouTube on the full episode for Bill Burr. Mr. Man on YouTube left us this comment. Uh, God, I love this. Some of my favorite people talking about something they're passionate about and the way they got into music. I had a smile on my face the whole time. Dude, so did I. As I mentioned, guys, I mentioned uh, we have got our first live 500 taping. It's going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival, and uh, it's going to be in April. It's one of the best comedy festivals in the country. I am so excited. I'm going to probably have like three guests. I might have some musical guests. It's going to be the shit. So in April, check out the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. I'll be doing a goddamn comedy jam there. I'll also be doing uh, the 500 and just regular stand-up. It's the best. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media, guys. Email the podcast, 500podcast at gmail.com. If you want to find some shows tonight, I'm at Venice Underground in Venice, California. This Thursday, I have my Shimmy Shimmy Ya show at the Comedy Store where comics give away real stuff from their life. I've got Christina P. on it, Dane Cook, Joe Rogan, Harlan Williams, and Brian Callen. Friday, November 30th at the Ice House. Saturday, December 2nd at the Comedy Store. And Sunday, December 2nd, one of my favorite shows in L.A., Chatterbox in West Covina. It's one of the best unknown rooms in the fucking country. So if you're around West Covina on Sunday, make sure you're there. And you can find all tickets on my website at joshadammyers.com. And once again, our website for this podcast is the500podcast.com. So please, guys, find your way to subscribe on all platforms. Listen to the podcast, rate and review. I love you guys. Also, we created a club. We're calling it the 500 Club. Well, we're going to be giving away merch like T-shirts, hoodies, live chats between me and my guests. As long as you sign up to join the club, you get access to full uncut episodes, interview extras, all one day early on Record Store Tuesday, beginning in December. And guess what? The beautiful girl that sent that email to us, Valerie Lopez, is our first member. Sign up, guys. Join the movement. This is real shit to help you grow, motherfuckers. Sorry, I cuss a lot. I shouldn't do this. My therapist says I got to calm this down. But I'm excited. I'm excited. Join the movement, people. The 500 Club is the shit. You can do it at the500podcast.com backslash club for all details on Patreon membership options to support the 500. And one of the things we're going to do, guys, we're trying to, once we raise $500, we're going to give away a $500 hoodie and buy Birkenstocks for Bill Burr. That'll be, let, let's make that Nirvana moment happen for Bill, everybody. So, we just listened to Boz Skaggs from 1969. Now, here's an artist that is directly influenced by the album. From Richmond, Virginia, we have Lady God and their 2018 single, Little Pockets, off their album, Rock and Roll Caliphate. All of their details and ways to find them are on our website. And if you guys are in a band or you're a solo artist, and you're directly influenced by one of these albums or artists, and you want your music featured on the 500, send your music to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album 
and the artist that was influenced in the subject line. And if we dig your song, we'll play it on on the fucking end of the podcast. I'm trying to hook you guys up, man. I want to launch new artists. I want to help people. Somebody said that to me a long time ago. They said, the higher you get, pull your hand down and bring people up. That's all I want to do. And the only way I can help you guys is if you help yourselves. So send your music with the artist that influenced you in the subject line to 500podcast at gmail.com. Next week is Bonnie Raitt week with her 1971 follow-up record, Give It Up. So you guys got some homework to do. Thanks for tuning in, y'all. See you next week, guys. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Next Chapter Podcasts.